Hey, everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And Q is back to guest host with me again. Guest host my butt. Come on. Just co-host. How are you doing, Q? I'm living. Uh, I just like the upfront, just apologize to the team. I uh, pushed Tina back in there. It's okay. It's fine. (laughs) It's life. It's the night shift life. I I understand it. It's... Yeah. It's this night it's the night shift struggle. Mm-hmm. But yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. you think you can you think I'm gonna do this, you have all these plans and your body has yeah. other plans and it it takes over and just like <laughs> it'll knock you on your butt and you have no you'll wake up like six hours later and you're just like, What just happened? I was gonna like take a ten minute nap. But that's night shift for you. I understand it. I work night shift enough that I, I know how that works. No problem. But getting into mm-hmm. this, Tina, I mean, like it's one thing to have fallen asleep, but then you wake up and you read stories like this and you're like, God, well, you know, sorry, I know it. No, no, no. It's it's just it's it's hard to read things like this. So before we do get started with the bad nurse story, I do want to say to put a little trigger warning out there. This is definitely um, just a disturbing story that we're going to talk about. I feel like it's one that definitely needs to be talked about. Just it's. People need to know this, this sort of thing happens. And also, I think the bravery of the people involved in this to speak up, you know, because that doesn't always happen. So um, I think it's important to talk about it. But at the same time, if you don't want to hear about sexual assault or, you know, th- anything along that line, you might want to skip this one because it's it's pretty bad. It's it's pretty yeah. bad, Tina. Let the folks at home know the truth. This is a wild episode. Mm-hmm. My goodness, homeboy is. Mm-mm. It's not good. <sighs> it's kind of crazy. So, and it's kind of yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, you're you're fine. <laughs> I guess we should yeah. just get go ahead and get. We I think I feel like we've given fair warning. You know, to yes. so if yes. if they wanted to bail, they could have bailed by now. So we can go ahead and get started with the story. This is the story of a nurse by the name of Christopher. Gehrig, and he was a registered nurse in the Oregon area, in Silverton, Oregon. He was, in 2016, he was arrested and charged with first-degree rape, second-degree sexual abuse, and strangulation. So this was in April of 2016 that he was arrested. And in this particular case, because this definitely goes a lot of different directions, but in this particular case, he met a woman who was telling him about a past trauma that she had suffered. And when she confided in him, he uh, offered a kind of a unique type of therapy for her. And what he, and, and of course he's telling her that he's a registered nurse and he has an expertise in this area and leads her to believe that with his credentials and his education that he knows what he's talking about. And she trusted him. And he told her that she should reenact the sexual assault, of course, with him. And that if they would reenact it, it would be therapeutic for her and help her get past the trauma. And she she did trust him. And, and it was something that was bothering her. And this is how desperate she was to try to get over it. It's 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 so disgusting to even have to talk about this when I think about how vulnerable she was and how desperate she must have been to to put herself through this to try to not to not have to deal with the trauma, you know, the PTSD that she was suffering because of it. It's awful. 
I don't know. Uh, so in a lot of the stories that you do, the good nurse, bad nurse stories, like you do the buildup, right? You tell the people up front, like who the person is, where they came from, their childhood, all of that stuff. And this is this is super recent, right? And it's it's like, I mean, it's happening. It's it's not history. It's like the homeboy's in jail right now, right now, right? And you didn't say how this specific situation ended, but this is one of them situations where I could care less, right? Like it's just, it's so, it's so wild because, you know, I always do these videos about nurses of the most trusted profession and uh, nurses are like all of that good stuff, right? And then you hear people who try to take advantage of their profession, of their credentials, of whatever, to do as heinous a crime as this. I mean, Tina, this just hurts. This really just hurts to see someone and and she's in such a vulnerable situation and he's over here saying this is therapy? This is therapy? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, they went through the therapy and then about a week later, she realized that she was feeling worse than she did before and she felt more traumatized and she felt like she had been victimized all over again and she had, you know, in reality. So she told a friend about it and this friend said, you need to go to the police and you need to tell the nursing board about this. And so that's what she did. She went to the police and she reported him to the nursing board. So the, the police began an investigation and they arrested him. So as I said earlier, they charged him with first degree rape, sexual assault and strangulation. But the judge said that the prosecutors failed to meet the required burden of proof for each of the charges. So he had to acquit him. Okay. Uh, this is where I was a little confused mm-hmm. because so the, he was arrested for sexual assault, for rape. What was he arrested for? So he for? was arrested because, because I like, think that the prosecutor and the, the police officers who were investigating this crime, they looked at it and they said, this man used his credentials, his education, his influence, his, the reputation of the nursing community. Yes. He used that in order to gain trust from her and under false pretenses made her think that it was therapy when it wasn't. And so in their minds, that is rape because he, I mean, and I think rightly so, I think they were right. It It should be rape. But when they when it went forward and it and it went to trial, the judge looking at it, I I guess had to say, well, I don't I don't necessarily think the judge wanted to do this, but I think that it was it just if you line it up with what the laws were, you know, at the time. Let's hope that it was changed by then, but by now, you know, whatever it was, but but it didn't match up because she technically consented. So it's it's like splitting hairs, you know, like, well, yeah, she consented under false pretenses, but she still she still consented. And it it it's it's hard for me to understand, but that that's kind of how it was. It's just it's really frustrating because mm-hmm. I feel like a judge would be I don't want to say smart enough, but I feel like a judge would have the knowledge to know that if she consented to this knowing that it's a therapy, mm-hmm. the judge could just do a quick Google search, is reenacting a sexual assault situation considered therapy? 
The answer is obviously not. So I just don't understand how the judge could make a decision like that. You know what I mean? It's just insane to me. Um, I think that maybe what, because he has to line it up with the law. You know, he has to look at the law and and apply it and say, did you was the law broken anywhere? And he also has to only take into consideration the evidence that's presented by the prosecution. So if for some reason the police officers that did the investigation, maybe, and I'm not saying they didn't, I don't know anything about that, but if for some reason the investigation wasn't thorough enough, maybe they didn't bring forth enough witnesses to present the, for the case, maybe the prosecution didn't put enough out there for the judge to be able to work with, to be able to say, yes, you broke this law, therefore I can convict you. And so I think that's probably how, that's, what happened. It was just, the, as far as the letter of the law, there was no actual law broken, which is unbelievable. But And I think, yeah, it's a really good thing that you said that because, I mean, the reality of the situation is, yes, she did consent to the whole therapy situation, even though that's complete both. Mm -hmm. It's complete lies. Um, but the truth is, at the end of the story, because there isn't any witnesses, it's basically what he says versus what she says. And that is a really tricky situation. It sucks. Mm -hmm. It really does suck. But yeah, and I don't know that he even, yeah, I yeah. don't know that he denied that that's what happened. It, it's, it never said that he said, oh, no, that's, I never said that. It's, I think it was always a matter of whether or not it was okay or, or under the law for this to yeah. be. Yeah. And so for it, that judge, uh, felt like he had to acquit him. So he was not held responsible for that. And so that's kind of where we are for this new case because just four months later, four months after he was acquitted of that sexual assault, this so he was acquitted in January of 2013, uh, 2017. So what, nine months later? And then four months after he was acquitted, he was at a party and there was a girl there that he was interested in. She was not interested in him and she let him know that. He was making advances toward her and she made it very clear to him she has a boyfriend, not interested in him at all. And so at some point the, during the party, she fell asleep on the couch and woke up to him touching her. She pushed him away, told him to get away. Another girl who was there, who was a friend of hers, told him to get off the couch, get away from her. So they had this whole exchange and then at some point she fell back asleep and this was later on in the morning and when she woke up he was on top of her sexually assaulting her he had pulled her pant pants down and was sexually assaulting her so she pushed him off got away and later decided to call the police and told him what happened um they arrested him and this time they they did a lot of investigating and they found a witness who actually drove him home from that party that morning after all this happened. And what I imagine happened because that witness asked him if she consented. So I would imagine there was a lot of chaos going on and everybody in that house probably knew what happened because for him, for the, for him to be driving him home and saying, hey, did she consent? Did she want you to do that? Oh, see, this is where I was confused by the notes. I thought that the cops were asking the person who drove him home. You mean the person who drove him home was asking Craig, yes. I mean, Christopher, this question? Yes. 
And that makes it even worse. Of course, yeah. That if yeah, that's insane. Mm-hmm. This is insane. I'm sorry. Yeah, keep going. Yes. He he the person driving him home. So, you know, you can imagine she probably, you know, started screaming and pushing him off and yelling. And then everybody is just all in an uproar and just, you know, he's, you know, t- telling him to leave, get out of there. This guy is driving him home and he's like, "Man, did you do what she's saying you did? You know, did she s- consent?" And what he, his response to that was not exactly, but he, he said that he knew that she wanted it. That was his response to the witness. And the police had this, this, this witness, they had him to testify against Christopher. So that's a pretty. And they have the actual woman mm-hmm. and they have the, the woman's right. friend from earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a close and shut yes. case, which is, which needs to be, but it's just, it's a shame that it had to come to this and this, you know. So the victim told the police that she obviously never gave him permission to touch her. Uh, they took him to the Marion County Jail there in uh, in Oregon. He His defense attorney tried to get bail for him, but the prosecutor argued that he was a danger to the community in general, but of course, the victim. And so, I mean, they just went through all of this a few months ago with this other woman and then and then just four months later, you know, going through this. So I think it's pretty, it was pretty clear to everybody involved that he didn't need to be let free, right? A hundred percent. So the judge overseeing the case said that the previous judge's observations that were on the record whenever they announced the acquittal was that there was definitely a willingness to prey on vulnerable women and misrepresent his training and experience to satisfy his own desires. That's what the judge of from the previous trial had said. So basically, it almost sounds like, and I, I see this a lot, you know, whenever we're uh, looking, researching these stories and I, and I read through the court records and you can kind of see what the judge's response. Sometimes the judges feel like their hands are tied and they have to, you know, they, they can't just do whatever they want to. They have to follow the law. Of course not. And yeah. it sounded like this judge was really frustrated about the fact that he had to acquit him because he said, there's no doubt that he was preying upon vulnerable women and he was misrepresenting his training experience. Um, and so now this judge said that even though he technically had to be acquitted, he didn't have, uh, just because he didn't have what he needed to be able to convict him of the charges, that doesn't mean that you can let him get away with, you know, that doesn't just negate the manipulative way that he obtained consent. This is like a technical question Mm -hmm. because I always got a little confused about Mm -hmm. this. Does acquitted mean just not enough evidence to find the person guilty or does acquitted mean this person is innocent? Acquitted means that there's not enough evidence to find them guilty. Evidence to find the person Mm -hmm. guilty. Okay, that makes a whole lot more sense. And then do you know that during these four months, did he still have his nursing license? He did not. They The the, the nursing board looked at this and said, okay, you... Mis- misrepresented your, your training. You, you not only did you use your role to manipulate someone and take advantage of them, but you were also practicing outside the scope of practice because it's not within our scope of practice to be offering therapy. We're that's not what we do. <laughs> so we're not therapists. We don't have a license to 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 counsel or you know oh to be God. a therapist somewhat. Of course so, not. Yeah, He's making his own kind mm-hmm. of therapy on the, just, to, uh, it's the worst. Okay, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so they revoked. His license ended up getting uh, just, because, I think they maybe suspended it and then eventually it was just expired. But anyway, uh, that 
that's kind of where that was. This new judge said that, no, we're not going to set bail. You're going to just stay in jail until we have the trial. So they had a two-day trial. Good for that judge. Mm-hmm. Good for that judge. Absolutely. Yep. So they had a two-day trial. He was convicted of rape and sexual abuse, and he was sentenced to over eight years in prison. Um, and he will also be required to register as a sex offender, of course. So at least there's that. But I mean, I don't really feel like eight years. Because if you think about it, what he did that the first time around, he is he's a serial rapist. 100%. And it was nothing 100%. but a fluke that he technically wasn't able to be convicted of that first um, assault. And so he was able to do it again. So eight years to me was kind of a slap on the wrist. Yeah. There's just there's just so much about this story. And it, like, it's just... The whole reenacting thing does does it is a a weird really weird situation mm-hmm. the fact that he told her that he was a nurse i think that's the reason he should have you know been put away the first time because i mean like i i hate to bring this up but i have to bring this up if you go on i mean if you watch any wild r rated nr rated movie and there's these all these crazy rape scenes it's a reenactment of a rape scene mm. right and if you consent to making a reenactment of a rape scene that's one thing. But if you tell the person that this is a type of therapy, then it's it's out the window. Mm-hmm. You don't get to use that excuse. It's not a video. You're not reenacting anymore. You're lying. Right. And you're lying based like false pretenses. It's just, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. The second situation is just wild to yeah. me. This dude must be a serial rapist because it's four months after you just get acquitted from doing that entire situation. And you over here trying to, Take advantage of a young lady at a at a party with everyone out and about. Like you have to think what this man is doing in like his private life. If this is what he's willing to do at a party with many many people right. there, it's just it, it's no self control. No self control. This dude really does need to be underneath the jail. Eight years is definitely not because enough. Because will he this serve is, eight just, years, or will he be? You know, will there be? out for good behavior and all. It's what always happens, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, this is a, I, I, he, this, the thing that bothers me so much, right? And we do these stories all the time and it really does surprise me as to how wild some of these people are. And yes, nurses are people, but I hate it with a core, with like inside me, I hate mm-hmm. it. When you see like nurses do such bad things, and I have to be honest, I have to be honest because I am a guy male nurses doing things like this mm-hmm. not only does it not only does it frustrate me but then you go to work and then you'll have a female patient say i don't want a male nurse and then you're like well of course i mean there's reasons yeah. for it can and you blame this him? man is the reason yeah. yeah this man is the reason yeah so what's the ratio of women that have been sexually abused if you look at the ratio it's something like uh, one in five or one in four women that will be sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. So yeah, I yeah. can definitely, I I understand why women would not feel comfortable having a male nurse. And of course. I mean, you just of have to accept that. It's just the reality. A hundred percent. And like, 
and kudos to them for speaking mm-hmm. out because I remember we've had this conversation in the past and it's like a lot of times some patients that just don't feel comfortable saying, I don't want this caretaker. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a lot more than just the actual female patients who are like, I don't want a male nurse, who just don't want a male mm-hmm. nurse, but stick it out because they think they have right. to, right? So yeah, uh, it's just... He's he's a disappointing person for the profession mm-hmm. and specifically for male nurses. And God damn it, I hate this guy. He needs to be under the jail. I really do hope he spends the entire eight years in prison because so, it's just he's just the worst. I meant to send you this before, but I found a video of him on YouTube from like 2014. So that, you know, of course this happened in 2016, 2017. In 2014, there's a video on YouTube of him. He's outside. It looks like, like at a park or at a I don't know. It's very just sort of picturesque setting. Like, I don't know where he is, but, and he is recording himself talking about nursing. Uh, I believe it's, I can't believe, I can't remember if it's nursing theory or the nursing philosophy, I believe is what it was. And he goes all through, he talks for like, I don't know, 10 minutes or so about his nurse his idea of, of what the what a nursing philosophy what the correct nursing philosophy is and he goes through all these I want to hear this it's just ridiculous he's it's him talking about the philosophy mm-hmm. of nursing like how how okay mm-hmm. I don't want to know but I need to know like I like did you believe what he was saying outside of the bad things he did did he that he did do you think his philosophy makes sense? Would you fall into his philosophy of nursing? Well, I think, I don't know if I'd fall into his philosophy of nursing, but I think I would believe that he was genuine, unfortunately. Mm. So Mm. I'm going to do something here. Let's see. Oh, I see you. Oh, that's him. Can you hear that? You are right. It does look serene. Talk about a wolf in sheep's clothing. (laughs) My goodness. Disgusting. So, so many things. First of all, uh, he starts out by saying that he wants to, he says that his philosophy is to help mainly the vulnerable patients. Mm -hmm. And that was like, okay, you want to help vulnerable patients, but here you are in outside of your nursing. I like when you said a wolf in sheep's clothing, because that's exactly what it is. And it's impossible for people to know who bad folks, you can't just see a bad person. They have to do the bad thing. Right. Um, And it's just, it's wild that someone who, believes or says things like that. Do you want to believe that he's genuine? Maybe, but honestly, Tina, it sounded like that was a book report. He was reading yeah. it from his notes. Like you and I make a lot of videos <laughs> and it's not us reading from a note telling you our opinion of the situation. Mm-hmm. No, it's just... He's getting his BS in like, or something. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It sounds like he's doing a book report yeah. on what his nursing philosophy should mm-hmm. be because... You can't honestly believe that. You can't honestly believe that your job is to take care of the vulnerable populations while you're out here telling people who are the most vulnerable, I have a therapy that's going to help you when it's obvious obvious BS and you're using that to Mm -hmm. take advantage of a vulnerable population. Get out of here. I don't want to hear anything else from you. Well, yeah. I mean, he... What's I, sitting there watching him like that, I, it, I can just imagine him in scrubs at the bedside taking care of people. I, it's horrible. It's, it is. It's, it's, it's a, wild. That is a, there's it's definitely a, um, an argument there for always having two people in a room, always, under, under any circumstances. Yes. There should never be. I mean, unless the 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe that should just be a rule. And and the the thing is, can would staffing would staffing ever allow for that? No, because we barely have there's no staffing way. to cover. There's no. But way. isn't wouldn't that be the safest thing for all patients? It really it would be a very safe thing. Look, listen, listen. The utopian version of mm-hmm. this, yes, a hundred percent. But just having two people in every mm-hmm. room for every situation does seem not wild. practical unless you have a situation. If it is like, you know, when you work in the ICU and stuff, the doors are glass mm-hmm. doors, right? Or you can see through them. So you can sit outside the patient's room and still have eyes on the right. patient. That's something I would like. If you had like a nurse's station where all the rooms were around and then you had like nurse's station in the beginning and the glass doors. But then obviously, obviously, you'll need times to like close the curtain so you can change the patient well, that's and stuff. The thing. And that's when you would need, yeah. that's when you would have someone come in and help mm-hmm. you. I can definitely see a way of that happening, but to have that switch, eh, money, money, money is what rules these situations. Yeah. And I I just, I don't have any trust in <laughs> our healthcare system in its current state to make a decision for the mental health of all patients and have two patients. Well, our healthcare people. system doesn't make any decisions for the well-being period for any, for just the exactly. physical, for the lives <laughs> of our patients. Because if they did, the we least. would have the nurse-patient ratios that we need that are safe, that are exactly. it's evidence-based practice that's safe. And no, we don't have that. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Yeah. I, I And like, look, just and on Mr. Christopher over here, like there's a lot of like, and I love, I love the entire process of, oh my goodness, did he do it? Did he do it? Did he do it? Like, uh, is it questionable offense? And like, we have a lot of, you do a lot of those stories where I have to think and guess and say, I believe he did it. Maybe he was innocent. There's this excuse. There's that. This dude, clo- oh, shut case. Oh, yeah. It's done. Home, he's out. He's out. No, thank yep. you. Thank you, but no thank you. 100%. So I guess that's our bad, ugh, bad nurse story. It's an icky one for sure. So our good nurse, so this is Black History Month. Uh, I was telling Tina before we started recording, I was like, Nurse Betty, that's a great nurse name. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the name, just straight up. There's Betty. It is. This is Betty, her, her name is uh, Betty Smith-Williams. She's a doctor, actually. She has a PhD and, of course, an RN. She graduated from nursing school in 1954. She was the the first Black student to earn her nursing degree from this particular school of nursing in Ohio. It's called the the Francis Payne Bolton School of Nursing in Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. Never heard of the school. Yeah. Her mother was an advocate for minority rights and she was the leader in the South Bend, Indiana chapter of the NAACP in the early 30s, 1930s. It was South Bend, Indiana. Mm-hmm. That's Pete Buttigieg's home. You know Pete Buttigieg? Yeah. Okay, well, he was one of the people running for president from the Democratic side this last run. South Bend, Indiana, I just heard that place a lot. But good for her mama Duke. She sounds like she comes from a good line of folk. Yes, definitely. And courageous people, for sure. So in the, so in the late 60s, Miss uh, Nurse Betty, she wanted to unite Black voices on a national level. So I love her her vision. You know, she's yes. active and she wants to do things to help, but she sees things on this bigger scale that other people probably couldn't even imagine how to do, even if they wanted to. 
So she wanted to focus on health issues that affected minority communities because she saw there was a gap there in education and, and, and the, of course, the focus, you know, is just not going to be there. And she wanted to do something about that. And she felt like the best way to do that is a collective voice because there's power in that. Yes. You know? So at the time, she was an assistant professor uh, in the School of Nursing at the University of California in Los Angeles. So she apparently had moved to Los Angeles. Oh, by the way, she was the first Black person, male or female, to teach at the college or university level in the entire state of California. That's wild. <sighs> that is, that is because look, like you have to think about these numbers. This is 19, like the mid, obviously at this point, probably mid to late 1960s. This is like civil rights at its height, right? You, but like to think that that's the first time that they had a black teacher all those years, all that time, there wasn't one in the entire state of Cali. You think Cali is this most progressive. It was just what, 50, 60 years ago that there was the first black professor right. in the entire mm-hmm. state. Ooh, that hurt, but it's also really nice to talk about Nurse Betty. Good for you, Nurse well, Betty. Well, good for her. I yes. say this every yes. week that we've been doing these stories. I always say, so someone forgot to tell her that she wasn't supposed to do this because <laughs> these people just do whatever. And I almost can see her in Ohio saying, you know, Ohio's nice, but I think I want to go do this in California. <laughs> the idea? <laughs> really? Okay. Go ahead. No, that hadn't been done before, but don't tell her that because <laughs> apparently right. it doesn't matter. So there she went. And so in 1968, She co-founded the Council of Black Nurses in Los Angeles. And then in 1971, she she had a vision. These were goals she set. You know, she had a a vision of what she wanted to do. And I feel like she, you know, she saw what she wanted to do and then she planned it. You know, she deliberately went to California. She said, I'm going to go to California. I'm going to move my way up there and I'm going to get into a position to where I can actually make... uh, a difference on the national level. And it's exactly what she did because she's there in Los Angeles in this influential position. Then on a national level, she and 17 other nursing leaders met in Cleveland and they, she made a motion and they approved her motion to establish the National Black Nurses Association, the NBNA. And so she was the co-founder of the N. BNA. So she said, she said, I thought black nurses needed a way to communicate with each other. We had no voice, but we understood our culture and our unique needs better than anyone else. She served as NBNA president from 1995 to 1999, and she's remained active in the organization through the decades and is now professor emeritus at California State University, Long Beach, and also her sister who's passed away um, since, but Lillian Smith Bell Gaines, who also had her doctorate. She was a PhD as well. She went to Case Western Reserve there in Ohio also. So, and all that came from Case Western's um, website. I got that story from there. I, how awesome, how amazing. That is amazing. That is amazing. First of all, I didn't know up until reading the story that there was a National Black Nurses Association. I love her rationale for starting it, creating it, being a part of it, and leading it because it is really hard, right? And like, and, and I, I can understand folks that say like you shouldn't have to have your own separate group, but the way I see it is it's like you know how you have like a like a, I don't even want to compare it to like the VA, but like you have like you have like categories for situations for people who go through a specific type of 
who live a specific type of right. life, right? And have, have similar issues and problems in their life. And they have a space where they can air those grievances and not try to explain what those grievances or problems or just life brings to them because of their current situation. And it does make a lot of sense to have a National Black Nurses Association because you do hear all of these stories about how, you know, it's the, the when you are a patient or just being a black nurse and having patients treat you differently or just not having the same opportunities. I mean, she's a prime example of being the first black professor in the entire state of California. So I love that she created it. And she didn't just stop or was a part of making this thing happen. And she didn't stop there. She decided to lead it. She's a she's a superhero. She's a superhero. She is. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, um, Erica Bailey with the University of Portland, she was on our podcaster collective, our nursing podcaster collective show a few weeks ago. Yes. And she was on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse several weeks ago. She has a an organization that she is... Um, kind of heading up mm. the Nurses of Color Collective. And what she's kind of taught me, um, and I think it's something that we can all learn, is that it is okay and absolutely necessary for minorities, and not just Black people, but minorities in general, to have a space that's safe. That's like, this is just our space. We can talk to each other about all of the pressure that we feel when we are the one person of color in a room full of other people who, and we feel this pressure to act a certain way, to conform, just all the, the stuff that goes on that I don't have, I don't understand. I can try to understand it and try to empathize and try to, uh, but what, what can I do? I can't, you know, it's, if you can sit and talk to other people and you can share experiences, not only can you know that you're not alone in that, that other people are going through that too, but you can also help each other to deal with it and and kind of say, you know, when I'm feeling that way, I do this, this, and this, or because what she's taught me, uh, I've just I learned so much in the few uh, conversations that I've had with her. One of the things that she taught me is that uh, there and Q, I don't know that sometimes I don't think you even have a clue this stuff goes on because you don't <laughs> seem to even be aware. I'm just like, oh, trust me, I know exactly what you mean. You know, a lot of the times I feel like I'm out of the loop. I'm just like, I feel like I'm trying to educate you about this stuff. <laughs> like, you know, anyway, but she, what she told, told me, and when I try to understand, and keep in kind of the back of my mind is that it's exhausting for Black people just to be living in and among other people who are not people of color, white people, I guess. But it just, it's exhausting to be the minority and always be having to answer questions and having to just, I don't know, justify well, for example, justify wanting to have a group of, you know, why should you even have to ask, yes. answer that question? It's, yeah. you know, why are we having to talk about this? There's no, and, and so I, I get that. It's not, we, it's, they're, they're totally tired. She's like, she's like, I'm just so tired of trying to explain everything. We're over it. And so I'm just like, I feel like that's, this is for white people to kind of step up and kind of take on this, you know, the responsibility to kind of take the pressure off. And to yes. loosen, lighten up, loosen up, understand what goes, you know, who cares? We don't need to be asking or like having you defend this or that. Don't, we don't need to be asking you about your hair or for you, the lack of it. <laughs> <We don't. laughs> so the other day, it reminds me, the other day, um, I'm sitting there and one of my, my patient's family member 
came out of the room, had her phone. I didn't know what she was going to do. One of our um, health unit coordinators was walking from one end of the unit to the other. It's a really large unit. So there are two health unit coordinators. It's two nurses stations. And as she's walking by, she walked like really quickly, walked out, stopped her. And she said, oh my gosh, can I just take a picture of you? I love your hair so much. And she wanted to take a picture of her hair. And this, uh, the the lady that sits at the desk is black and she her hair is like silver, really fine curls. And it is beautiful. It's beautiful. She's an older lady. I mean, she's just, and she's literally like, there's an award for the unit for like a re, for like people who are really encouraging and just like amazing employees named after her, yes. named after this woman. That's how amazing oh, she is. She's literally a living legend there. That's amazing. And I, That's kind of amazing. But, well, <laughs> yeah, if you knew her, you would understand. But when, and she took this in stride. And because I have been having these conversations, I thought, oh my gosh, this is another, this is what they're talking about. Like, why do you want to accost this woman and make her let you take a picture of her? And yet, what did she do? But she just let her take the picture. I was like, Man, I would have been like, go away. I'm not letting you take my picture. <laughs> Especially in the hospital, that is a, that is a wild situation. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's just, I think it is really good. But because I do, I, I have to be honest, right? I came from the position thinking like having these separate groups were bad, right? And I too were needed to just, because I'm just too loud and ignorant <laughs> and just like I'm out there enough to just think that, oh, these people are asking everyone this question and it's not just for me because of my color. But and then you think of it just like I like being around men sometimes and just talking to guys about guy things. Right. And I just need that space to just be yes. in a man's group. Right. <laughs> everyone has their man, like the boys have their man's. That's cake. a great Saturdays way to put it. for the boys. I love that. Right. So then why would it be an issue? to have someone who lives the same experience when it comes to color, when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. These are all things that should and could be happening. And if it, if someone's building an organization or situation for those voices to just speak their truth yeah. without feeling the pressure of trying to accommodate or assimilate to the general culture, I say, do you, yeah. do you. Go, go ahead, Nurse Betty. I love, I mean, I love it. Good for you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I definitely agree. Now, having said that, if you're white, you don't need to have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's just put, let's make this abundantly clear. You don't right? need For- <laughs> any meetings that's just white people and talking about your white people problems. Okay. <laughs> that's called life every day, everywhere you go. That's life. You don't have to. No, we're not doing that. That's a no-no. It's a fair point, right? Yeah, yes, yes. I hear you. I hear you Because you that. know that's what I people are going to be that. like, well, then, okay, fine. <laughs> but, you know, that's that same thing will happen. You, you know, talk about, well, men want their space, but then, you know, there'll be like a gym that's like for women only, and then men will be like, wait a minute, why are we doing a, you know oh what I'm saying? Oh, my God. And so people love yeah, to no, do that's that. That's not the issue. People love yeah. to just split hairs and just like make an issue out of something. Just like, good Lord. Let's let, let yeah. just let leave people alone. Okay. <laughs> right. Leave I people alone I and hear. don't be racist. Can we <laughs> I mean, is that not leave people alone, don't be racist? I like that. That's some good advice. I mean, it's pretty some real good straightforward. Advice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I guess that does it for this episode. 
Yes. Q, are you still doing your podcast? Are you? What are you doing? Oh, what are yeah. you doing these days? So I just I jump back on the horse, right? And uh, if you guys are interested, Ner- Tina over here is going to come on my show. It'll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are going to record tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to come out as soon as I record, but um, yes, I'm back on the horse. So if you guys want to find me, Q the nurse on all social, it's just the letter then the nurse, and you can find me there. Yes. Thank you, Tina. Yes, thank you. And you guys know you can find me at um, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on Instagram and GNBN Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And you can come to our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And I love to hear from you guys. And I also want to remind you, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. (laughs) 